Welcome back to the Weekly Trusted Visions podcast. Team, I'm glad that we're back. And as we were talking this week in our team meeting, you know, we've talked a lot about a plan B and, you know, making a broker dealer change and being acquired and what that means. And David brought up a good point of we've never really talked about what does it mean to make a transition and what is it, what it entails in terms of making a transition, both on you as the advisor, your staff, and your clients. So this month, we're really going to focus on the in the weeds, making an actual broker dealer change and what that entails and things to consider. Now I'll preface as I do on most of these podcasts, some of these things we're gonna talk about are you know about contracts. We're not attorneys, we're not providing legal advice. We heavily you know, uh, advise you to go seek legal counsel when you're talking about contracts and what you can and can't do with client data. But with that, I want to start off and, and probably one of the, the more important topics of, you know, your book itself. And is it portable? Now, right. as we know, wirehouse advisors and independent advisors, there's a lot of similarities, but there's also a lot of differences when we talk about the portability of your book. So I'm going to start off just high level, you know, from the wirehouse side, you know, that's where it comes down to is understanding your your contract and what you can and can't do. Um, can you solicit your clients? Can you not solicit your clients? Is your broker dealer part of protocol? And I would I would strongly suggest any wirehouse advisor that's making a broker dealer change, you never make that move without consulting an attorney and understanding the do's and don'ts of that. Now on the independent side, you know, most of the time your book is portable in that you're, you're, you don't have to worry about your broker dealer going out and assigning advisors to call on your clients. Now, there are some broker dealers out there that have sent letters to your clients on the independent side saying, hey, if you sign this, Mr. Client, should your advisor ever leave, they can't solicit you. Make sure that you understand which clients signed that and which didn't and consult with an attorney on that as well, because it, it you don't want to get to the 11th hour and be scared. Now, I think there's also a misconception or misperception in the industry of, well, my clients won't follow me because I have a big name as a broker dealer behind me. And while that may have been true when you started out, if you have, and this isn't an insult or a jab, but if you've done your job and served your clients to the level that you should be and provided them with the advice that they were expecting or exceeded their expectations, most clients don't even know what a broker dealer is. They're with you because of you. And so my my advice to you on that is that if if you're worried about that, then you need to look at the services that you're providing to clients. Because I found, and I'm sure you guys would agree with me, that clients aren't with you because the name behind the broker dealer. Um, And you can find that out by asking your client, do you know what a broker dealer is? See, see how they answer that. So with that, you know, let, in terms of portability of book, you, got, you want to make sure, and I'm not going to get into the product side because Sean's going to cover that, but make sure that you have your contract reviewed. Make sure you understand whether your broker dealer is part of protocol or not. And then a lot of times in your contract, it'll suggest you've got to give a 30 or a 60 day notice to your broker dealer. Make sure you consult with an attorney because I've, I've worked with, we've worked with many advisors where they have that in their contract, but the attorney's advice was, hey, you really don't have to. But 
If you don't have a copy of your contract because you've been with the broker dealer for 20 plus years, it's okay and it's not going to raise red flags to call your broker dealer and say, hey, I just noticed I was going through my files. I don't have a copy of my, my rep agreement. Make sure that you have that. Don't guess of what you can and can't do. Now, a step further on that with client retention, you know, make sure that, again, you're consulting with an attorney. But a lot of times you can have conversations with your clients of, hey, I'm going to be making a move. And, you know, this is why I'm making a move, not for the benefit of me, but it's better technology for you. I'm going to have more product availability. It's better pricing for you as my client. Have those conversations if legally you can. Don't be afraid to have those conversations before you make that move. Now, if you can't have those conversations, then have a, a plan in place for how you're going to communicate to your clients. Not saying some clients are less important than others, but it's vitally important that you categorize your clients into A, B, C, one, two, three, because the reason for that is, is you want to get those accounts moved over that are in category A or one first, and then move down the list. Also keep in mind that you want to categorize it from advisory to direct to fund business to brokerage business, because those advisory accounts, the way that they're built, and again, Sean, I'm not going to steal too much of your thunder, you certainly want to get those moved over first so that you can rebuild those for that quarter or that month. Right. So that's a little bit, and we can really dive in deep here um, on just this topic alone. Right. Right. But I think that the high level points is understand your contract, what you can and can't do, whether you could solicit your clients. If you're coming from the wirehouse, understand that the wolves are going to get unleashed the moment you move. So planning that methodically is vitally important. Now, Sean, I'm going to kick it over to you. Um, and I know you've said this many, many times in our podcast of, you know, when you're doing your due diligence, make sure you understand what exceptions need to be made and which ones don't. Because once you're on board, you, you're probably not going to get that exception made. So with that, you know, when, when an advisor or an OSJ or enterprise is looking to move, you know, can you speak a little bit about just the product base, whether it's products, whether it's money managers, on the advisory side, things that they should either be cognizant of or aware of when planning that transition? Sure, sure. Well, product due diligence, in my opinion, is a is huge during the collective due diligence process. And oftentimes it's just simply overlooked. I have a confession as a recruiter. Early in my day, I overlooked some products um, during the due diligence. And once an advisor makes that broker-dealer change, it becomes very difficult and uncomfortable for everyone if a product is not at the new broker-dealer. So, um, you know, one of the things I want to highlight before I really take a deeper dive here is that you want to understand as, a, as an advisor that while there are similarities amongst broker-dealers, none of them operate the same. Um, so you should never assume that because you have your mutual fund that you've had for 20 years at your existing broker dealer, that the new broker dealer is just going to have that because it's been a great product for you and your clients at your uh, at your current broker dealer. So uh, one of the things that I, I highly encourage is you work with your recruiter or whomever is involved in the process and do what I call a book of business checklist. Uh, you know, make sure you go through your book of business at your current firm, um, 
have your recruiter look at that book of business and so they can do the like for like match um, at your new broker dealer. Do that prior to the broker dealer change. Uh, because once you're, as Jeremy mentioned, once you're there, it becomes very difficult. Um, some of the products that stick out to me, and this is just from my 20 years of experience, uh, believe it or not, are, first of all, mutual funds and annuities. Um, I want to preface that by saying typically it's the quote unquote legacy mutual funds and annuities that you find the most difficult to transfer, meaning that it could be an annuity product or a mutual fund that you opened years ago. And you're still collecting trails and it could be a, a, a nice piece of your business. And you may find yourself in a scenario where the broker dealer that you really like, you really respect, uh, may not accept those products. So as an advisor, you, you can do just a couple things. You can continue your due diligence and find a, a unique situation where a broker dealer may accommodate those products or you can stay put. Um, I, I've worked in uh, situations and deals where this was a, a deal breaker so to speak. Uh, the new firm couldn't accept the legacy products. Um, proprietary products is huge. Um, if you are an advisor and you're looking to make a change, you almost have to assume that if you're investing in proprietary products that they're not going to transfer. Um, so you may want to have a different angle where you're looking at a product that's similar uh, to your proprietary product that you have uh, that you could possibly, once you make the change to the new broker dealer, uh, invest your clients into a huge one for me, and I'm speaking from experience. It wasn't a good experience either. But um, third-party money managers is a must. Um, if you have a third-party money manager, you have to have your new broker-dealer take a look at that ASAP. Because just from my experience working here with Trusted Visions and my experience working with uh, previous broker-dealers, Every firm has their standards uh, for a third-party money manager. You'll find some firms that are okay with third-party money manager being in existence for just five years uh, with minimum assets under management. And then you may find another broker dealer that wants only third-party money managers that have been in business for 15, 20 years, and they have substantial amount of assets under management. And as an advisor, you can be invested in the, in the smaller uh, third-party money manager and you're doing great for your clients, but a new firm just will not take that. Um, just really quickly, not want, I don't want to take up too much time, but an experience that happened to me, um, I was working with a, uh, a, a pretty huge OSJ team, and they had a third-party money manager that uh, went through the new broker-dealer I represented uh, due diligence process, and it was approved by the due diligence team. So really quickly, most firms have a due diligence team or product team that'll look at all of these products and make a determination if they can accept or not. However, once it's accepted, it's typically uh, progressed to the legal unit because legal has to stamp it to make sure it's official. In this case, the due diligence team said it was fine. However, the legal team wanted to take a second look. Well, what happened was their second look came after the advisor made the transition. And um, the advisor missed, this is how serious this is, an advisor missed a residual payment um, because of the legal team um, not having the response on day one. So we were able to rectify that situation, but it was very uncomfortable for all parties at hand. So I, I would certainly suggest any advisor, if you have third-party money managers, 
you know, make that a priority to have um, your new broker dealer take a look at that. Um, advisory billing, definitely want to touch on that um, because the billing schedules at each broker dealer may, may be different. Um, you may be at a firm where, you know, your billing is in arrears and is quarterly and the new broker dealer may be in advance, uh, you know, in monthly, or it could be a combination of both. And oftentimes the billing schedule does have influence on the time frame when an advisor makes the change. Um, so you want to make sure, in my opinion, you want to look at like for like. However, I've worked with advisors who actually administer their due diligence and like the uh, the billing schedule of the new broker dealer. And they found a way to, to make that work. But it is very important that you take a look at that as well. A few of the things that stick out, you know, uh, services outside the norm, uh, most of these related to your outside business activities. If, if you're a signator or, or you or you're a check signer or however you want to uh, classify that, you want to make sure that's appropriate at the new broker dealer because many broker dealers just do not allow that. So you may be at a firm that allows that, the new firm may not. It could be a big issue for the advisor, maybe not. So you want to uh, make sure you investigate all of your outside business activities and your responsibilities within the outside business activity. So those are the ones that really stand out to me. I may be missing some, if, if Jeremy or Dave, you wanna add a few, but those are those are really the high level products that, that come to mind when, when I think about this topic. Yeah, and, and to your point, Sean, <clears throat> I mean, when you're thinking about your OBAs, make sure that you're disclosing even the most minute of outside business activities. I mean, right. some people say, hey, I'm on the board of my HOA or I'm on the board for the Little League team. That's something that needs to be reviewed. Now, to, one question for you, Sean, what advice, and I think everybody has a differing opinion here, on the advisory side, you know, most, not saying all, but a lot of the broker-dealers bill quarterly in advance or you can pick monthly. Now, when an advisor moves, let's say they move at the beginning of the quarter, you know, they, they're going to see, the client's going to see that large debit balance from their current broker dealer. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to see a large, well, the, the current broker dealer, when you move, has to rebate that client the fees for the days that you weren't there in the quarter. And then when you move those accounts, they get rebilled. So client sees a debit, credit, debit again. Right. What advice would you give, whether it's, because we hear this every day, should I move at the beginning of the quarter? Should I move in the middle of the quarter? Should I move at the end of the quarter? I mean, you've been doing this for 20 plus years. And like I said, every recruiter is going to have a differing opinion. But what's your advice to our audience on what's best quarter, either beginning of quarter, middle of quarter, end of quarter? Sure. In my opinion, I think, first of all, you want to identify the schedule, as I mentioned um, earlier, and to uh, just kind of figure out, okay, how this looks at the new broker dealer. Also, I don't think there is a right or wrong answer. Um, I think it's all contingent upon your client relationship because I've worked with advisors who didn't mind, you know, the advisor being uh, billed and then credited and billed because they just felt the relationship was that strong where they can kind of talk the advisor through what exactly is occurring. But then I've worked with others who wanted to limit that type of communication because, you know, a client may have been a little apprehensive about the move initially. So I think as an advisor, you have to really take a look at your personal scenario. Um, you know, if, if you're comfortable with, if you have a, a set time in which you want to make the change, 
and that's going to work for you, irregardless of how uh, you know the debits kind of kind of roll around for your client. Then do what's comfortable for you and your client. However, if you're one of those that that maybe have clients a little apprehensive, you know, I I would say end of quarter when I was asked to kind of you know when I was asked by a prospective advisor my thoughts, you know, I may err towards end of quarter, uh, you know, just because it felt a little more seamless. Um, however, I think it's, it's completely up to the advisor and contingent upon that relationship. And I think, you know, to your point, communication is key. Right. I mean, don't don't not have that communication with your client of, right. hey, you're going to see this debit balance. You're going to see a credit. You're going to see a debit. Here's why. Now, obviously, again, abiding by your contract. But a couple other points there, Sean, is that for, for people to consider or audience to consider is, you know, make sure to Sean's point, make sure if. If the broker dealer you're looking at joining doesn't ask you specifics about your products, run. That's just right. my opinion because <laughs> that the devil's in the details there. But right. a couple of points to that is when you speak about money managers, the other important thing, because there's been firms that I've been with that it's a well-known money manager, but that broker dealer charges an extra five or 10 basis points right. on that money manager for whatever reason. So Absolutely. make sure that you're asking those questions. And then probably just as importantly, with the fixed insurance, whether it's fixed indexed annuities, equity indexed annuities, as we know, most, if not all broker dealers require that to run through the broker dealer. Don't assume that your IMO insurance marketing organization that you use or FMO is going to be allowed with the current bro- with the new right. broker dealer. So you know, because we've run across a lot of advisors that say, hey, I like this IMO or FMO because they provide a lot of marketing services and they, you know, co-relate on my website. That's great. But make sure that that IMO or FMO is approved because we've seen this throughout our careers that once you get on board, you're not going to get an exception made. You can use it as a negotiating tool before you join, but not after. And then lastly, Again, with we had DOL, we had Reg BI, and a lot of broker dealers changed their different annuity payouts of what you can what you can be paid, whether it's seven percent year one, whatever. Right. And uh, some broker dealers readjusted it when DOL didn't go through. Some broker dealers didn't. So understand on that annuity business, you know how that broker dealer is paying. Right. Just because they're saying. Hey, you're going to be at a 92% payout. Well, 92% of what? Because I'm currently getting 7% on this product. You're saying I'm only going to get 5%. That's right, where it's, right, you know, in my right. mind, vital to work with teams like Trusted Visions because a lot of our audience, and this isn't discrediting them, but David said this many, many times, you're great at what you do being an advisor, but you don't even know to ask those questions. And it's vital the devil's in the details when it comes to that stuff. And to Sean's point, figure it out now because you're not going to negotiate once you get on board. Right. So, David, we're going to hand this off to you and really touching on the things to consider and the impact on the clients. Um, and I think this topic is probably the most appropriate for you because you are the tech savvy genius um, when it comes to our team. Uh, audience, David will attest anytime I have a problem with the computer or my phone. I'm calling him. So, David, can you talk a little bit about, you know, things to consider from a client standpoint? Absolutely. I appreciate it. And it's kind of a good transition from both you guys. Communication. When you're talking about your clients, simply put, communication is key. 
across the board when it comes to communication. Once you figured out what your protocol is, what you can do when you've you had a consultation with your attorney, find out what you can and can't say, what things you can utilize when it comes to communicating with your clients before and after a transition is going to be extremely important. When you're talking about products and things like that, you're getting that covered. The client doesn't affect the client as, as, as much on that side as long as you get the approvals done. But you really need to step back. If you're starting to put together a plan B or you're even considering making a move, you need to find out how you communicate with your clients. How is that communication channel open? Do you utilize, you know, do you do market news? Do you contact your clients on an annual basis, quarterly basis, monthly basis? Do you do it through phone, email? Uh, what technology do you utilize in, in those particular situations to communicate with your clients? And can you utilize that when you're educating and communicating with your clients when it comes to a change? Uh, what you can say, what you can't say. Uh, what I tell uh, uh, a, a lot of advisors out there is, you know, once you segment your business to your A, B, and C clients, you also want to take a look back and say, how tech savvy are they? Uh, what kind of tools could I utilize to make the transition a little bit easier? Would they be able to use something like DocuPace? Uh, or do I need to meet with those clients? You know, there's a segment of my clients I have to meet face-to-face. -face. Knowing that ahead of time can help you in the transition side of it. So really delve into your book and find out how can I communicate with these clients? You know these clients, you have those relationships built. How will be? How can I effectively communicate with them saying, hey, I'm making a broker-dealer change and this is why. And having that outlined, you know, just like your elevator speech, when you're talking about what you provide as a financial planner, that can be honed into the conversations you have. These are the reasons why I'm making a move. And this is how it's going to benefit you, my client. And these are some of the, the new services or products or other opportunities that we're going to have uh, to work with you as an individual client on that side. Have that written out, kind of talk through that. And then don't forget, you know, you know, it's one of those things when you're when you're talking with people like Trusted Visions, we're going to have you work with your new broker dealer and find out what you can do as far as putting together a letter to explain why you're making these changes and things that go along with it. So you can communicate with your client about the changes, what it's going to look like, what transition is going to look like and how you're going to put that together. And then you can decide. Uh, there's a number of clients that got to reach out via phone to get the conversation started, the individual appointments, and even in some cases where you're going to do a signing party, you have a big giant open house talking about the, the, the transition that you're making and the, the new services and things that you're going to provide, but also be able to bring your clients in, have a nice little fun event and have them basically sign their paperwork while they're there. So you can look at it as a huge opportunity to really delve in and meet with your clients but if you're not communicating with them today on a, you know, on a quarterly, monthly or annual basis, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. You're going to have some challenges on that side. So we can kind of help you think through that of getting them up to speed on how to communicate these changes to your client and getting that uh, taken care of. And what I always say in a lot of cases, when you're when you're looking at these moves, they're pain. Uh, they're painful. No transition is ever going to be seamless. But if you've done the work and you really thought through the process of not only you know what your product mix looks like, what I can and can't say, what can I utilize uh, as far as um, technology or anything else to communicate to my clients about this change and getting the, pa the paperwork signed so we can get their accounts moved over as efficiently as possible. The, the biggest thing is also take a step back. Don't forget, this is a huge opportunity. 
some some of these clients you probably meet with on an annual basis, but it always gives you an opportunity to kind of market yourself and grow your business. Never look uh, never look at these opportunities and say, if I can put together something to talk about how and why I'm making this move and the benefits that go along with that, don't forget to reiterate what your core values are, what, what you bring as far as strengths, what you bring to your clients. Because in a lot of cases, there may be some services that a number of your clients don't utilize with you. And it gives you an opportunity to grow your business a little bit while you're putting these things together. Don't miss an opportunity to grow your book of business while you're making these changes. And it, it could turn into a little bit more of a, a I hate to say, use the word fun experience, but it could be uh, sometimes you can make it uh, somewhat entertaining. So communication with your clients and what your clients are going to see, you really need to think through that. On our side of it, there's a lot of things our advisors that we help with and consult with to make sure that they understand. I think, Jeremy, uh, you and Sean did a great job of talking about those things. You need to consider things you may not think of, but also don't forget about your clients. This is just going to be as, you know, if you've never been through a transition before with, uh, with your clients and they've been with you for 10, 15 years, it, it's going to be a new experience for them too. So don't forget, they may not understand what a broker dealer is, why they have to sign this paperwork and what does it mean? I'm going to get double dipped on my advisory accounts when it comes to uh, payments, things like that. So consider it, it may be a little bit scary for them too, with all the changes going on and, and things like that. So make sure that you understand that, that way you can communicate very effectively with your clients and it, turn it into a little bit more of a, a fun experience, right. if that's possible. And I completely agree with that, David. And, and a couple of points. One, uh, one thing for our audience to consider is most, if not all, broker-dealers have some sort of client-facing letter that explains their broker-dealer, the strengths of their broker-dealer, how long they've been in business. I'm not saying use that as your welcome letter, but send that with your welcome letter. And the other thing I've seen, and, and I've seen few advisors do this, is take, to David's point, take advantage of this transition. When you're meeting with those clients to sign new paperwork, Say, David, you know, hey, I know we meet semi-annually, but has anything changed in, in your, you know, your life that, that we need to discuss? Do we need to up your life insurance? Is there, you know, did you have a family member pass that you inherited money? How's your family doing? Because I've seen, and I've only seen a handful of advisors do this, but that's exactly what they did. And they actually grew substantially right after the transition because they had those conversations. Don't be afraid to have those conversations. And even when they're signing the paperwork, hey, if you know anybody that could utilize the services that I provide to you, please don't hesitate to let me know. Or even to David's point, if you're having an open house, hey, if you know anybody, feel free to bring them over. Um, this is a great start to this, this vital topic. <clears throat> and David, thank you for coming up with this idea because I think it's a great monthly topic. We're going to continue on next week and throughout the month on this very topic of different sides and things to consider when actually making the transition. So we'll dive into infrastructure. We'll dive into you know day one and what that looks like. So more to come. If you have any questions or want to talk to somebody on the Trusted Visions team, don't hesitate to email us at info at trustedvisions.com. Visit us on our LinkedIn page or comment on this podcast or our Facebook Trusted Visions page. Audience, we look forward to diving into this, into this with you. Should you have any questions, reach out. Team, as always, thank you for taking part in this and bringing your expertise to our audience.